Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. I saw this in the scriptures this morning, and I thought it was a good, it was good, because it tied in very well with what I'll be speaking today. It says, Psalm 122, verse 1, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah, Father. We give you praise this morning. We thank you so much. It is good to be in your presence. It is good to be with like-minded believers. It is good, hallelujah, Father God, to love you and praise you and worship you and to receive from you, Father, all that you have for us. We thank you, Father, for the word that's coming forth today. We thank you for the blessing of being your children, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Today, <clears throat> excuse me, today, one of the things the Lord was bringing me to was the word intimacy. And one of the things they always said, if you want to fill up your church, talk about sex or marriage, <laughs> you know, we're not going to talk about any of that. <laughs> Actually, we are a little bit, but <laughs> you can't get away from it. Anyway. And it was, this was kind of close to me because one of the things that, for me anyway, that I began to notice about intimacy was when, when Brenna passed and I could be with those men who, they would hug me and I could hug them and there was no barrier between us, there was no pretense. I was in sorrow, they were in support. I could weep on their shoulders and they could weep with me. And those are things that people don't think about, but that's intimate. It is. You don't just go weep on anybody's shoulder unless you have a real problem. But, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but that intimate moment, those times, and then those times afterwards, and even, even to this day, and, and it's important to remember that, you know, when there's loss like that, it doesn't just get over the first few months. Uh, most psychologists will tell you that the grieving period takes about six years. I mean, you never really lose that sense of, of missing that person, but that big, hard grieving goes through that six-year period, and you go through all those emotions and everything. But even today, those men will come up to me and shake my hand and say, how are you doing? And they don't want just a surface answer. Oh, I'm doing fine. No, how are you doing? See, there's an intimacy in that. I want to know about you. I want to know how you're doing. So <clears throat> the word intimacy, um, this is out of the dictionary because there really isn't intimacy in the Bible, in that word, but it says it's a close familiarity or friendship, a closeness, the intimacy between a husband and a wife. After that, I started looking in the word about some things having to do with intimacy. And one of the things uh, was in the uh, Hebrew is the word know, because we, we hear in there where Abraham knew his wife, you know, and, and it's so we understand what that meant. But it's, it also has the word knowledge, understanding, discernment, discover, and respect. It comes from the word, and the Greek word comes from it, and it says gnosko which means to know absolutely. 
Have you ever thought about that? Do you know your wife absolutely? You know? It's <laughs> well, that brings us in... <laughs> That brings us in, into the word knowledge, which is gnosis. <laughs> Hang in there, buddy. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> but that brings us to the word gnosis, which is knowledge. It's a derivative of genosco. And that means a knowing as in science. So if you're wondering why you don't understand your wives, you should have spent more time in science classes. <laughs> so there you go. But it, it's true, there's a thing about knowing that we don't, we don't talk about, but when, when he talked about knowing his wife according to these words, understanding, discernment, discovery, respect. You know, and then I got to looking at how Jesus looks at us with understanding, discernment, discovery, and respect. He loves us that much, and he knows us absolutely. So there's no, <laughs> it was not like we say, well, I hid that from him. No. So it took me to a James 1.19. This seems like uh, gets off track a little bit, but James 1.19 says, Understand this, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense, and to get angry. And so I was, when I was thinking about this in the, in the context of intimacy, you know, the closest friend you have when you get married is your wife or your husband. But the closest friend you have. And who's the one that's going to catch the outbreak when you get mad? The person closest to you. And why is that? Because they're close to you. And it's, it's just sad, but that's kind of the way it is. And we can get offended real easy because people, uh, are ones that are close to us, say things that, that can bother us. Like this morning, uh, Luann was listening to something on Andrew Womack, and it had to do with, uh, with healing. And he, he was talking about, and I didn't hear it all. She was telling me that was good, and she was saying, you know, we, we, we missed some things with Brenna. We should have been more attentive to some things in Brenna. And right away, I was hurt. But it wasn't her, but she's the closest thing to me. So do I get angry at her? Do I get angry at the word that, or what the devil's trying to do? So if I am a ready listener and I'm slow to speak, so she asked me later, is everything okay? And it was. Because I could let that go. Because I know who is causing the, the anger and the pain. It's the devil. Because he wants me... If you remember what I said last week, I said he wants to separate you from your God, he wants to separate you from your spouse, and he wants to separate you from your body. Those are the three things the devil wants to do. So one of the things he wants to do is he wants to separate me from her. He wants me to push her aside. He wants me to get quiet, not say anything, but to take offense, get angry, and go through all that process. So I have to be in that place of being intimate, of understanding who the enemy is, and who my closest prayer partner is. If we're going to come together to fight the devil, where two or more agree is touching anything, it should be done by our Father which is in heaven, right there. So to be intimate with somebody, <clears throat> to have a knowledge, to know absolutely. Um, 
John 14, 16 through 17, this is a scripture that we all know pretty well. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, a counselor, a helper, an intercessor, an advocate, a strengthener, a standby, that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, welcome takes to his heart, because it does not see him or know and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. I hate that when things cut off. <laughs> anyway, the word know in there is the same know as to understand by science to know absolutely. And this is the thing that people kind of forget at times. You know him. Now, one of the things in our men's Bible study, we're talking about being closer with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to, we're not trying to, but we're trying to, I guess we're trying to understand more about what it means to be intimate with him. Because he's the one that's here on earth today. And he's the one that's giving us the message from heaven, from our bridegroom. And he's telling us how he loves us, how he cares for us. He's giving us direction. And we know him. And I thought that was interesting because who really knows him? <laughs> you know, he's deep. But you know what? Our job is to know him even more. So that is one of the things we and men are looking at, how to know him more. So I was looking at some different words about husband and wife, since we're talking about the bride, that we are the bride of Christ. The husband, the Hebrew word for husband is ish, I-Y-S-H. So if your wife comes to you and goes, ish, <laughs> she's talking to you. <laughs> But it's an interesting because it's such a small four-letter word, ish. It's, it is uh, translated man as an individual, a champion, good, great, mighty. That's what we're supposed to be as men. So then it looks for the wife, and the Hebrew word for wife is isha nashim. And it says woman, married. But as I was reading down, what it came to is a feminine form of the husband. She is mighty. She is good. She's a champion. And that's what we're supposed to be here on earth. We're supposed to be his champions here on earth. That's how we, when, you, when, you, um, when we talked about Psalm 31, about the Psalm 31 woman, it was interesting that when the man sat at the gates, the men spoke to him of his wife, for she was known. He was known in the gates because of what his wife was doing. That'd be great. Just sit in the gates, drink coffee. Hey, your wife's doing really good. You know? <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so, <it's not laughs> oh, well, we can dream. So intimately or intimacy, 1 Peter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says, In the same way you married men should live considerately with your wives, with an intelligent recognition. See, if you guys ever have a problem with your wives, you probably aren't being too intelligent about it. Just saying. I mean, 
I wouldn't know that by experience, but <laughs> with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the woman as physically the weaker. Now, I, I know a lot of people used to read that and say, no, honoring the woman is weaker, like it was some, something spiritual, but it's not. She's just built weaker. We're built stronger. We're built to protect and defend. But realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace, God's unmerited favor of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Otherwise, you cannot pray effectively. And I found this was interesting because, <coughs> excuse me, you may come to a place where you're saying, man, why aren't my prayers being answered? I just, I feel like I'm hitting that ceiling. It doesn't go any higher. How's your relationship? If you're not married, how's your relationship with your husband, the Lord Jesus? How is your relationship? But I have to understand, if my relationship isn't good here, how can I expect God to hear my prayer? Because if I am to be Christ to the church, and she's to be church to the Christ, how can I go to the, the husband if I'm not treating my spouse? See, there's intimacy. I have to have that knowledge and intelligent recognition. Verse 8 says, finally... All of you, these are amplified, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate, courteous, tenderhearted, and humble. You know, we always like the humble... I never really cared for um, Cassius Clay. He was a good boxer. I'll take nothing away from him. He was an athlete. He was a good boxer. But, yeah, you know, all that in your face. And I understand the aggression. I understand what he's doing. But everything was, yeah, I'm the best. I'm the best. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You know, all these things that we used to hear from him. And it was hard for me to just really appreciate his athleticism because I was getting so pulled away by his verbiage. And where to be, he was never really humble, you know? And one of the things that I was looking in verse 8 about being humble, how, see, I can, I can put on an act like that. Of course, my wife knows me better. She says, yeah, right. But, I mean, I could put on, I could put on that arrogant, bossy, my way or the highway, but there's no humbleness and there's no humility in that. What there is is just, you know, I'm going to force this issue. And what happens when you force an issue? You might get resentment. You might get, yeah, I'll go along with it, but you know when this thing falls apart? <laughs> yeah, I'll be talking to you about it. So in verse 9, it says, Never return evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue-lashing, berating. But on the contrary, blessing praying for their welfare, happiness, and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. For you know that this is what you've been called to, that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare, happiness, and protection. That's how I keep my prayers flowing. See, how easy is it with this scolding, how is it, oh yeah? 
well. I, I heard uh, Joe McGee say something one time, and I thought it was really good. He was describing some of the differences between men and women, and, and you guys need to go to Joe McGee's website. He has got some great stuff. But one of the things he was talking about there is that if you want to get a verbal argument with your wife, you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he said, he's, and what he said is true because we've, we've all heard this over time. A man has like about 50,000 words he's going to use in a day. A woman has like about 150,000 words she's going to, or more, way more, a lot more. But so when you get into a verbal, if you're going to like, all right, we're going to talk this out, you, you've lost already. Because you've got an attitude, number one, and number three, she's got more ammunition than you do. She does. He said, you know, if you look at, if you look how women see colors, they see all these colors. We see pink. They see all the variations of pink. You know, if I say pink, she's asking what type of pink. These are these things that are in her mind and going through there, and she can, and she'll beat you to death with it. Just, I don't know that from experience, but I just want you. <laughs> but the thing is, if, if I'm going, why would I want to get into scolding her or tongue lashing or berating? Why would you want to do that? What am I doing? I mean, what, is, what does it say in, in um, um, Ephesians? It says, loving as your own body, Ephesians 5. Not in my notes. Ephesians 5.33. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self. And see that the wife, see, let, let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. Why would I want to beat myself up? You know, and the thing is, I, and I got to looking at this, it's just like, it is like fighting against yourself. I'm going to do this and it's going to come back on me. And I'm going to do this and it's going to come back on me. And I'm going to get hurt. She's going to get hurt. So that means we're both hurt. And so we're in this relationship and we're both hurt. So then what has to come after that? Somebody's going to have to get humble. Somebody's going to have to ask for forgiveness. Not me. <laughs> no, I mean, what's my job? I'm the leader of the family, right? I'm the leader of the house. What's my job? Honey, I'm sorry. I know you were wrong, but I... <laughs> no, I, but, it, but it is. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this got this far. Why did we let it get this far? Why did we get to this point where we're sitting here and yelling at each other, and I'm stomping off this way, and you're stomping off that way, and who's in the middle? The devil. Yeah, she disrespected you. Yeah, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care. She doesn't care. And immediately we get pushed away. And then how long does it take to come back to that intimacy again? Somebody has to bend. And I'm telling you from what the scripture says, that's my job. Thing is, even if I'm right, I still have to bend. Because I have to bend to see what was it about that I said or did that caused this? What was she seeing? What was she hearing? 
And so these, these things pop up. How did I hurt her or put her in that place where she felt like she had to defend herself? My, not, my job is not to put her on the defensive. My job is to encourage her and to build her up. I'm supposed to be in this place where I'm praying for her welfare, her happiness and protection, truly pitying and loving her. And sometimes I have to pity her for loving me, but I mean, that's just the way it goes. But you know, our, our Savior, he does this. He loves us unconditionally. And he wants us to be that person that comes to him and says, you know, Lord, I don't understand. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and he's willing to tell us. And he's willing to be strong and let us know about the love that he has for us. Now, along those lines, I wanted to bring this book. How many of you read The Five Love Languages? Okay. How many of you are doing The Five Love Languages? <laughs> I saw one hand, two, maybe, maybe, was it all the way up or was it just part way? <laughs> you know, one of the things about this book that I found interesting is it helped me learn how to love my wife better. And it helped her to learn how to love me better. But you know what? We need to read this more than just once and then go on about our merry way. Because things change over time. You know, as we get older, things in our psyche change. How we view things change. Um, how we view other people. How we view situations. And how we view how we are today. So it's kind of good to look at this every once in a while and take it out and just... And just read it and say, are you, are acts of service still your greatest love language? Is that what, is that really what shows you I love you? You know, God knows your love language. He knows it. And he will put somebody in there to physically minister to you. And so that's what we have. So I would suggest if you haven't read this, read it. If you had to read it, read it, read it again. Because things do change. And it helps with the intimacy. Because I, f I found this kind of interesting, you know. If, so words of affirmation are not real big strong suit for me. So if you come up to me and you say, good job, yeah, wait, good job. It's like, thanks. You know, it, it doesn't really, it's not my love language. I appreciate it, but it's not my love language. So if she was just giving me words of affirmation, I'm like, come on already. <laughs> you know, my love language is physical touch. And she just comes and just touches me, just puts her hand on me, gives me a hug. Those are things that are important to me. And that hasn't really changed. <laughs> so I was looking about that and what love really meant. And Bob Yanyan's got these commentaries. Sometimes it seems like rabbit trails, but Pastor Herb told me one day, just think of them, alternate, think of them as alternate hunting grounds. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Yandian wrote this. It says, let me get back here. It says that this, the, he's talking about the grace of God brings salvation appears to all men. And not right now, God's grace is appearing to all men bringing salvation. 
God is always aggressing toward him with salvation. When a sinner responds, God is glorified. And the same analogy is set up in the husband and wife relationship. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says, For a man and indeed ought not cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman, the wife, is the glory of the man, the husband. This does not mean that every woman is the glory of every man. It means that the wife is the glory of her husband. Jesus Christ is glorified in his church and the husband is glorified in his wife. Go back to Psalms 31, Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, woman. The husband is used in the marriage as a relationship to typify Jesus Christ. The husband is the aggressor. The woman is the responder. And you know, I talked about the other day of how men are aggressive. Our love is aggressive. Well, <laughs> you know, kind of interesting. I've got to look at this later. It says God is always aggressing always abounding and is glorified when we respond to him. He, he agapes toward us and we phileo back to him. Agape love is glorified in our phileo love to him. In the Bible, a woman is never told to agape her husband. Never be aggressive. That's interesting. Titus 2.4 says that they, older women, may admonish, teach, the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Both times in that verse, the Greek for love is phileo. Wives respond in phileo love to their husbands. In contrast, every time the husband is told to love his wife, the Greek word agape is used. You know what that means? Husbands, you're to love your wife as Jesus loves the church. You are to love her whether she looks pretty or not, whether she deserves it or not. You know, the interesting thing is that for God so loved the world that he gave, he agaped the world. He was aggressive in his love towards us. Uh, I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago when I says, you know, people, I just want a husband like Jesus, you know, soft and tender. And I, and I reminded them he's the one that built the cord of whip and the whip of cords. And he would tell people they're white-throated sepulchers. And he would look at his disciples. Why have you no faith? He was aggressive. Because they needed aggression. They needed to know he loved them enough to tell them the truth. How long have I been with you that you don't know? So then I looked up the word agape love. It is the steady intention of the will to another's highest. And this, this was something that, that wow. <laughs> Do I love my wife with the steady intention of the will to her highest. Because I know Jesus does. That's why he died. That's why he suffered and died. Excuse me. You know, I was thinking about, about his passion. You know, he was in the garden sweating as these drops of blood, and he was sweating over us. He's sweating because he knows what he's going through and that what he does is for us. And you know, at any point he could have said, no, they're not worth it. And then I think of his time, you know, you think, well, you know, that's, that's tough, you know, but and a person could say, well, you know, if we're being berated by somebody, well, that's tough, you know. But then he's taken to a whipping post and he didn't open his mouth and he was beat and then he was taken to the cross. 
And I was talking to Josh the other day. It was kind of interesting when they talked about crucifixion. A lot of people were thinking the crucifixion was one foot over the other with a nail through there. And one of the reasons that they had a hard time finding out how people were crucified is that they always saved the nails. So after somebody was crucified, they pulled the nails out and they used them on the next person. Well, they found a, they found a cadaver here several years ago that a nail had hit a knot in one of those because they reused everything. It wasn't like they put Jesus on a brand new cross. When you see him going down those pictures with this brand new cross, that was the thing was blood stained and from other people. It was had holes in it from other nails. But one of the things that they found is this this nail had hit a knot and had got curled, so it was left in the body. Right through the heel. Back here in that Achilles tendon area to the sides of the cross. So it wasn't like it was something he could push himself up there. He had to push himself up on that, on the nails themselves. For us. For us. That is the love that we're supposed to have for our wives because that's the love he had for us. When I'm speaking to men and I talk about Ephesians 5 when it says to love your wife, that is the kind of love he's talking about. Agape, aggressive love. So it says, <clears throat> goes on and says, a willful choice put, to put another's interests above his own. An unselfish giving, even to the point of sacrifice, and unconditional love. That is the love we're supposed to show towards our wives because that is the love that he showed towards us. And if we're going to demonstrate Christ on the church within a marriage, then I have to have that aggressive love towards her. So what does she have back for me? It becomes that phileo, phileo love. A lot, a lot of people call that the brotherly love. But it says it's, it's a friendship and companionship, a love of openness that is occupied with common interests and activities. And I got to thinking that, well, that doesn't seem real romantic. <laughs> but it was interesting in the fact that what he said in the, in the book, in, the, in his commentary, is that women are built to respond. And what do they respond to? Do they respond to the guy that sits in the back and figures he's a chick magnet and they'll all just come running to him? And, or does she respond to the guy who does open the door for her, pull out the chair for her, and put it back? To pull out the chair for her to help her seat? Is he the one that pays for the meal on the first date? Is he the one that that looks, when he walks out with her, he looks around to make sure everything's fine for her, that she's safe. You know, which, one, which one are we looking for as the bride of Christ? He watches out for us. He pulls the chair out for us. He's got a dinner set for us. It's paid for. It's all paid for. It's all there for us. So agape is aggressive. It is a choice. And it is the word in Scripture used about a man's love towards his wife. So I was thinking about all these things about Jesus. And everything he did, you know, he, moved, he walked and he walked. And, you know, I, I believe um, it says that if all, the, if all the things that Jesus had done or said were written, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to hold those volumes. And somebody had said one time, and I forget the... <clears throat> the uh, numbers exactly, but 
the three, the four Gospels take up like 17 days of his three and a half years. So all those things he did, I mean, they picked a day here and they picked a day there and the things that they wrote down and could remember. And I don't, forget, I don't remember the number exactly, but it was, like, it was like days, not months or years. So we have three and a half years of his life condensed into, three, into four Gospels. I keep trying to throw one of those Gospels out. <laughs> into four Gospels. And it's, it's a matter of days or weeks. And he showed us in those days or weeks what he, what he had written down in the Scriptures of what he did for three and a half years. For three and a half years, he walked to places. He met with people. He engaged them. Do we engage our wives? What do you mean engage your wife? Do I engage her in our decision making? Do I engage her in what we're going to do? Do I engage her in my thought process? <clears throat> do I engage her? And I'm not real good about this. I'll be honest with you. I'm not real good about this. But I engage her, do I engage her in prayer? And I got, I had to laugh about this to myself one day, but it was, it was sad in a way. But, you know, one of the things about prayer is I, I'm, so I'm a man and I got my box, right? This is my prayer box. Today I'm going to pray for Mike Hill. <clears throat> so he's there, that he's what I'm praying for. Pray for Mike Hill. I'm done. My wife and Jody, Father, bless her and Caleb. Oh, yes. And Pastor Sean and Heidi. Oh, yes. Michael and Rocio. Oh, yeah. Come on. I just came here to pray for Mike. <laughs> but it's one of those things. So then what do I have to do is I have to put myself down and come alongside with the prayers because her mind is going that direction. If I'm going to pray for Mike, I'm going to pray for his wife and his family. If I'm going to pray for Pastor Sean, his wife and family. If I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you and your family. But I just know my way is that I'm covered. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> you had all my attention for all that time. So the scriptures talk about us being aggressive and it talks about women being responsive. And so then I look, I look at what... Christ did being aggressive for us, going through all that on the cross, the, the sacrifice, the time in the garden, the whipping post, the cross, hell, and then being raised. He did all that for us that we would respond to him. See, it would be kind of hard to respond to somebody who didn't do anything for you. So if Jesus just showed up one day and says, hey, I'm the son of God and All's good and just worship me. I'm your husband now and back up to heaven. Oh, that was nice. What did that mean? Didn't spend any time with me. He really didn't show me what love was. He really didn't. How do I respond to that? So how does my wife respond to me if that's how I am towards her? How, does, how do we respond in that way? How do we respond? We can't because it's like, I don't know where to go with this. Jesus Christ is the aggressor in our relationship with him. He came for us. 
He ministered to us. He suffered and died for us. And he sent his spirit to live inside of us. So as we're talking about the bride, and I know I'm, I'm tying human marriage and our marriage to the Lord together, but the Holy Spirit is here, and he only tells us, right, what the Father tells him to tell us. He's not sitting down and you're thinking, well, you know, I got a better idea. That's not him. He's listening to the Father. And what the Father says, he says. What did Jesus say? I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. So he's, he's in us. And he's like the bridegroom's best friend. So here we are, the bride, we're waiting any day now, he could be coming, we're all excited because this could be the day, and the best friend comes along, you say, hey, is he coming? Not yet, but you know, while you're waiting, you could be preparing. Why don't you go lead somebody to Christ? Why don't you go talk to that person? Hey, you know, this person over here needs some prayer. They're dealing with some emotional issues. This person over here needs healing. Lay, my, lay your hands on him. And that's what he's telling us to do. It's coming right from the bridegroom to the bride. And what are we supposed to do? According to Proverbs 31, our hands are supposed to be busy. We're supposed to be busy. We're supposed to be doing the work of the Father. We're supposed to be doing the work of the, of the bride to the groom. We're being prepared and we are preparing for his coming. So we respond to his love and his sacrifice, and that's what we do. We took, see, this is the interesting thing I talked about, like I think it was the first, <clears throat> first Sunday I talked about this. I said how today, you know, so many people have hyphenated last names when they get married. I'm Smith Joseph, or I'm, you know, whatever. Some, I've even heard where sometimes where the husband has taken the wife's maiden name, and they've done these things to be more woke or inclusive. But one of the things that, the idea of taking your husband's name, responding to him, being lost in your husband, being part of that, not really lost, but part of that, is how we're supposed to be part of Christ. See, I took Christ's name. And what's in that name? Now, <clears throat> our family was never wealthy or anything like that, but if we were, when she came into my life and took my name, everything I had... It, you know, if we were wealthy, every, everything I had was hers. Well, what I did is I worked so that we would have things, and they were hers. Gets back to the marriage contract we heard about the, in the Hebrew contract where the man signs a contract that gives everything to the bride. And then we look back and we saw how this is our contract. Everything in here is ours. Not a thing left out. Got more books up here than I know what to do with. <clears throat> so we are moved by him to do his will because of his unrelenting love for us. So when we think about the husband-wife relationship, why would our wives want to do anything for us if we didn't have that unrelenting love for them? And the thing that I found interesting in here is that agape, he talked about it in his book earlier, agape, different than phileo, is a choice love. 
So the man representing Christ chooses. I choose to love you. Sometimes I tease the man. I said, I chose to love you today. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it seems like it's a daily choice. Today I'm going to love you the best way I know how. And we don't always think about it. And that gets back to the old saying about how familiarity breeds contempt. And we can do that. We can, we can be so familiar that we just, nah, whatever. We can dismiss because it's not important to me. Think about Christ. Yeah, that's not important. Does he look at us that way? No. Everything he sees about us is important. Everything he says in his word is important. I got a book the other day I'm, I'm reading. It's a small book, but it's seeing Jesus in every page of the Bible, in the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you talk about that scarlet thread of redemption from Genesis to Revelations, it's there. And I'm looking at that, and it's pretty fascinating. He has an unrelenting love for us. You know, the scripture says we love him because he first loved us. My wife loves me because I first loved her. I chose. You know, this kind of thing. The dating thing sometimes gets to be a little like, is he going to call? Is he going to call? <laughs> I, I pick on my son a little bit, but he, when he was dating Aaron, they don't watch this, so I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I hope. <laughs> but we introduced them, so I want you to know arranged marriages work. We're an arranged marriage, so, you know. Um, when we introduced them, he shook hands with her, and he only thought that, that this, uh, this other family had one daughter, and she had just gotten married. So when he shook hands with her, he hadn't looked down, and she didn't have a ring on. Hmm. So they talked a little bit. So later on, he gets on my Facebook page to go to her dad's Facebook page to go to her Facebook page. <laughs> oh, she's not married. She went on her dad's Facebook page, went to my Facebook page to go to his Facebook page. So they got, you know, this cyber-stalking thing, you know. <laughs> so anyway, what Aaron said later, which I thought was kind of interesting, it was just brought to me, was that, why hasn't he called me yet? You know, sometimes, you know, we think, well, why hasn't he called me yet? Spirit of God dwells and dwells in you. You just got to listen. <laughs> He's calling. But, but we're sometimes in that way. Why? Why is he waiting so long? What's taking so long? But he's got a promise. I'm coming. And I set my spirit to keep you informed. He's not going to let us be surprised. But there's that thing of waiting and waiting. And she waited. all the time cyber-stalking. But finally coming to that place of, hi, this is Jeremy. Would you like to go have coffee? Jesus is calling us by his Holy Spirit. 
He is calling people that we, as the bride of Christ and as the body of Christ, are supposed to be reaching. He's calling. Hey, would you like to have coffee? Would you like to become part of the family? Would you like to be part of the bride? So we, as the bride of Christ, our love towards him is a responsive love. He aggressively loves us so that we can responsively love him and do those things that we're called to do. And everybody here has got a gift that they're called to do. We don't all do it the same way. I wish I could preach like Mark. It ain't happening. (laughs) This is me. And so he uses this gift. I wish I could preach like Pastor Sean and Mike, just, but this is me. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> so the gift that he's put within me ministers to different people than the gift he put into other people. He calls us to use that gift. So let's be prepared as the bride of Christ for his coming, and let's keep on doing as a responsive love to our aggressive husband and love the world. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.